chapter 139. Now, if you do not have a Bible, we want to get you guys a Bible today so that you can use in service, but also just so you can take home as a gift. So um, if you do not have a Bible, if you would just raise your hand real quick. I know that's awkward sometimes. So if you raise your hand, uh, we will get you some right here from the back. We'll get you some Bibles just so you have one uh, to use and to take home as our gift for you today. So um, to get to Psalm, the book of Psalms, there is a table of contents usually right at the front of your Bible. Also, if you just split the Bible in half, usually you'll land in the book of Psalms. And then you can just follow these big numbers to get to Psalm chapter 139, which is where we will be at today. So um, before we begin, though, our theme for this week at BBS has been about how our God that we worship is an awesome God. And every day we had one new point talking about who our God is and what he is like. And when we did that, we asked everybody to put both their fingers in the air, pointing up, and say as loud as they could, awesome God. So kids who are at BBS, can you help your parents and the rest of us today do that? So the, one of the things we learned in VBS is that God is in charge. And we learned that God is always with you. And that God is stronger than anything. We learned that God is surprising. And most of all, we learned that God loves you no matter what. Good. You guys are doing great. So whenever today you hear one of those phrases, I want to ask you guys to just join in with the kids from BVS. They'll get it. They're on top of things and just yell, awesome God. Okay. So we're in the, uh, so putting all of these together about who our God is, it makes me think of uh, a quote by an old Christian teacher. I think his name was A.W. Tozer. He liked to say that a person's view of God is the most important thing you can know about them. And I think that's a true statement. If you look at who a person believes, what they believe about God truly, you'll find out a lot about them. You'll find out how they view the rest of the world, what their purpose as a human being is. You'll even begin to see what their true hopes and desires ultimately are. If you have someone who doesn't believe there's a God, or, or if God's just some distant being or power who set the world in motion, but then left us to our own, then you realize that person thinks that they are on their own and that the fate of humanity is up to us and they must do everything they can to whatever in this life to get the most out of it. Whether they value most pleasure, they'll do whatever they can to get as much pleasure out of this short life as possible. Or maybe they value progress, they'll do whatever they can to help human beings march forward within this lifetime because that's all there is. Uh, it, some of us, we have this view of God that if that's kind of like Santa Claus, right? If we just do good things, then God will reward us with these good gifts and presents. But if we do bad things, well, God's kind of jolly and kind. He's not going to do anything too bad, but he's not going to reward us either. He'll just give us our coal, as it were. Uh, others of us have this strict view of God that if we step out of line at any point in time, he'll strike us and punish us. Right? And that affects the way we 
live. That affects what we hope for, what we desire, what we dream of, what it means to have a full and fulfilling life. Now, what we believe as Christians about who our God is, what he is like, and what he thinks about us is deeply, deeply important. Probably the most important thing uh, there is, right? And, and so what we're going to do today, obviously I can't go in all that God says about himself, but we are fortunate that God gave us a book. And in it, he tells us exactly who he is, exactly what he thinks of us as human beings and what he expects from us. And so we can dive in. And, and the problem is, there's no way I can tell you everything about God in a short sermon today. I only have two hours, right? So I can't, all right, maybe a little shorter, but I don't have enough time to do that. I can't go through all of the Bible. In fact, even if I had a lifetime, there's always more to know because God is infinite and great, and he put so much in his Bible. And in fact, as we grow up, as we experience different things in our life and in different times in our life, we can look to the Bible and we'll see new things about who our God is. So what we're going to do is instead we're just going to start small. We're going to start in one chapter of the Bible and we're going to see who this God is and what he is like. And I think it doesn't perfectly, but I think it fits many of the themes we studied in BBS this week. Um, so what I want to invite you to do, if you are in Psalm chapter 139, um, at this church, we like to stand if you are able when we read God's word. So if you would stand, it's just to show uh, kind of honor to the God who gives us uh, words so that we might know him. I'm going to read, pray, and then you guys can sit down again and we will dive into what this means. So Psalm chapter 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high and I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, are you there? If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall come over me, and the light above me be night, even the darkness is not dark for you. The night it is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. You saw, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malice intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not I hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with a complete hatred. I count them my enemies. 
Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way of everlasting. Father, I pray that you would speak through your word as you say you will. That your word does not go out, but it always returns doing your work. And I pray that you would show us today from this psalm who you are and who we are to you. And that if there's anyone here today who doesn't yet know you as their Father, as their God, as their Lord and authority, that they would turn to you today and they would receive the grace that is waiting for them in your Son, Jesus. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. We're going to dive in right here. That was a lot. And it took a weird twist at the end. I'm sure you guys are thinking as we kept reading. We're going to talk about that. But what I want to start off is just these first several verses. What I want you to see, and this runs more than just these six verses. It runs kind of throughout. But it's just this, that God is always with you. Awesome God! Oh, the kids got it. Let's try it. God is always with you. Awesome God! Look at, the, look at these verses. O oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You sit, know when I sit down and when I rise up. God knows everything. Awesome God. That wasn't one of them, but yes, awesome God. Right? One of the things we call, we call this as a big, fancy theological term. It's omniscient. And that just means that God has all the knowledge that there possibly can be. He knows everything. And another way of saying that is there's nothing he doesn't know. I mean, if we begin to ponder what that means, that's, that's incredible. He knows every single moment of our lives. He knows more about ourselves than we know. It says that God has the hairs on our head counted, which as many preachers like to say is sometimes easier for some of us and harder for others, right? But he has them all counted. He knows every cell that's ever been in our bodies and ever will be. And later on, we read that this is before we were even created. God knows all these things. And God is everywhere at all times. That's right. Awesome God. He, we had one. We'll try that again. God is everywhere. Awesome God. So. And so he is at every time in every location. We, that word we use for that is omnipresent. Omni, if you're not catching on, it just means all. He's all present. Unlike human beings who are physical creatures, we have limits. We can only be at one place at once, no matter how hard we may try. God is always everywhere, right? There's no limit to his location. He is with us at all times. And so this is important. That means that we can't escape from his presence. He's always there protecting us, watching over us, caring for us. Right? This is the God we worship. But not only that, if God was just a watcher, if he knew all things and he was there, but he was just a watcher, that, that's not really enough, right? Like, okay, but you have no control over anything. But that leads us to our next point. If we know that God is always with you, we also know that God is in charge. Awesome God. That's right. We look here, if we keep reading, even before word is on my tongue, you behold, O Lord, you know it all together. And then verse 5 says this, you hem me in behind 
and before, and you lay your hand upon me. What is that saying? That is saying that God cares about us so much. He knows so much about us, and he cares for us. Before a day even begins for us, God has already prepared it for us. And not only that, he's preparing the future days as well. What happens as a result of what we do now, God is already preparing it for us. He has it in control. He is taking care of us even before we were created. And for all eternity, God is in charge of who we are and what we will do and what is done to us. Awesome God, that's right. Right? And and why can he do that? It's because what I want you to see next, God is stronger than anything. Right? There is no limit to the power of God. That's another fancy word, omnipotent. Alone, out of everything exists, God has complete control and power. He controls the future and the present and the past. This is the God we worship. So putting this all together, we have a God who knows all things, who is with us at all times, who has complete control, and who is all-powerful. Nothing can overwhelm him or overpower him. And that leads to an interesting twist. You see, the psalmist, David, is writing and he begins and it's like this encouragement that this all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present God is with him at all times, preparing everything for him. And then we almost get a twist in the reading. I want you to listen to these words, which at first sounded encouraging, but as you keep reading, might make a slight twist. It says this, starting in verse Seven. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? First we read that and it's encouraging. And it is encouraging. God is always with us and in charge and powerful and knows all things. Nothing can surprise him. That's good. And yet, notice the words that the psalmist uses. Where can I flee from your presence? In other words, all of a sudden, knowing this all-powerful, all-present, all-in-charge God is with him at all times, suddenly makes him wonder, well, if that's true, can I ever get anywhere where he's not? All of a sudden, it takes on a tone of, ah, that's, that's a little scary. I can't escape from God's presence. You see, oftentimes we have this view of God who's kind of this kindly, grandpa-like a figure who's always there to, to hug us and encourage us and to give us good, present things, we kind of neglect sometimes the part of the Bible where God is righteous. And not only that, he has a powerful wrath against evil. Whenever God sees people committing evil things, it makes him angry, right? And, and To an extent, that's encouraging. We see later in the psalm that that's explicitly what he asked for. God, these evil people doing evil things, why won't you bring them to justice? Right? And all of us hope for that to a certain extent, right? When you look around at this world, you see, yes, sometimes evil people get brought to to a certain amount of justice. But if they are rich enough, if they are powerful enough, if they are connected enough, or they are just smart enough, or even if the people who are supposed to bring them to justice are just corrupted or lazy enough, 
then evil doesn't get punished. There is no justice in the world. And we see it all the time everywhere we look. We see innocent people come to great harm and evil, and we see evil people get rewarded. And there's something in every human being that deeply desires justice. And we pray for that. But what the psalmist gets is what I want you guys to get. If we look at ourselves long enough and honestly enough, and we don't try to sugarcoat it like we're often apt to do. We're not that bad. We compare ourselves to someone else who's worse than us or who did things that we think are deserving more punishment. We're doing fine. But if we actually look at our hearts and we see ourselves through the eyes of God, who sees us at all times, not just when people are watching, who knows our thoughts and our intention, not just what we do, but why we do them, what you'll see is a God who sees every vain and selfish and spiteful and hateful act that we commit as a human being. You see that if that God truly knows who we are on the inside, then that evil that the psalmist later wants God to smite is in us. That makes a big problem, doesn't it? If this God that is all-powerful and all-knowing and knows us deeply and intimately is a God that we can never escape from, that is scary, is it not? And that is what I want you to see in this Bible, that God is all of these things. And God hates evil. It says that God will bring about justice. He may wait for a time, right? That's why the psalmist is asking him, right? He's looking. He's like, why are you letting injustice go on? God will ultimately bring justice, even though he may wait. And that is bad news for every one of us. But here is the next point I want you to get to. And this is the amazing truth. And that is this. God is surprising. God is not who we think he is. If we, and it, Every one of us has these misconceptions about God, whether you view God as maybe not powerful enough, knowledgeable enough, or maybe he's just this kindly God. What we see is, no, he is a God of justice who evil makes him angry and wrathful, and he will bring about punishment. But what does that leave for us? And here is the most surprising truth of all. If we keep reading to the end, if we keep reading after the psalmist asked for God to bring about justice, we see that the same psalmist is able to ask this in verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me. That's a dangerous thing to pray. This is the God who knows all things, and if you're honest, every single human being has these parts in them that are deeply evil and selfish and harmful towards other people and spiteful towards other people. This same human being, by the way, this same human being who is David, if you don't know much about the Bible, David is a king who was praised for being a man after God's own heart, but also afterwards decided he wanted to steal another man's wife and have him murdered. This same guy is saying, search me and know my heart and know my thoughts. Is that not dangerous? But here comes the surprising twist. And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. You see, David does know all these things about God. He knows that God is always with you, and God is in charge, 
And God is stronger than anything. But he also knows this about God, that God made human beings in his image, that God loves every human being that he made. And even though we rebelled against him, even though we have committed great evil, he has not stopped loving us. You see, God loves us no matter what. This is probably the greatest twist in the entire story, is that even though we are, as human beings, if we're honest about who we are at our deepest points, we are evil and deserving of God's wrath and punishment. But God cares deeply about us even still. How much does he care? Well, here's the truth. As we continue in the story of the Bible, we will see that God himself, the second person of the Trinity, the very Son of God, became a human being. This is God, limitless in power and presence and knowledge, stepped into humanity. He didn't give up being God, but he also fully became a human being. He suffered all the indignities that human beings suffered for. He was rejected by the very people he came for. And they, even though this God-man named Jesus never once did anything evil in his life or thought anything evil or intended any evil, he was given the punishment that all evil acts and thoughts and deeds deserve. He was killed. He was killed brutally and viciously. And yet that's still not the end of the story. You see, three days later, this God-man, this Jesus, rose from the dead. Now, why did he do that? Well, here's the truth. God loves us so much, so this God, who is completely and fully just, must punish evil. So how does he choose to punish evil? Well, instead of bringing it about on us, though we deserve it, he inflicted the full punishment of evil on his son. Brutal, vicious death because he loved us so much that he took the punishment of sin in our place and he died and three days later he rose again. And you see, from now on, from that point, if anyone is to put their faith in that God-man Jesus, if they are to give their entire life to him, repent of their sins, put their, in other words, put their faith in Jesus to forgive them of their sins, then the wrath goes on Jesus and not on us. This is the surprising twist to the story. The same God who is at all places at all in all times, who knows every single thing about us, even our worst thoughts, still loves us and sent his son to die for us. So now if you just put your faith in Jesus, you can be forgiven of each and every one of these sins. You do not have to face the punishment that comes for evil people. And why? Why did God wait? Even though David is pleading with him, punish evil, why is God waiting to do it? Well, here's the truth. The reason that God waits in the present to punish evil is because he wants each and every person to repent and turn to him so that they don't have to face the wrath of God, that he and his son has to take the wrath for them. That's how much God loves us. And that is the story of the Bible. And that is who God is, and that is how God feels and thinks about us. So what does that mean? How do I put my faith in God? Well, 
just believing in Jesus is what the Bible says. Putting your faith in Jesus, in other words, trusting him to forgive you of your sins and trusting him to bring you eternal life in place of punishment. And he will send you his spirit. And what that means is that God himself from here on out will dwell within you and he will begin to change your heart. He will get, begin to change your desires. And even though that work won't be completed in this life, he will keep working on it until Jesus will return again. And when he returns again, this time he will come to completely fix everything that human beings have messed up in our own sinfulness and evilness. He will fix every disease, every, every broken thing in this earth, every death, and most of all, he will fix us and make us to be the full, sinless human beings that we were intended to be when God created us. So how do you do that? Well, one of the ways that we do that is just ask you to ask God directly. You see, one of the privileges we have because of what Jesus did is that we can talk to God directly. And because he knows all things and because he is at all places, he even knows our thoughts, when we pray to him, he will hear us. And so if you have not put your trust in Jesus, if you pray to God and just ask him, God, forgive me of my sins, make me one of your children and send me your spirit, he will do that. And Christians, what does this mean for us? It means laying aside some of our broken thinking about God. Many of us as who've grown up as Christians fall into this, this kind of thought that God is Yes, he's gracious when it comes to salvation, but when it comes to like the other stuff, well, then he's quick to punish me and bring back things in my life because of what I've, what I've done. And, and when things are going really, really good, that means God's okay with me. But if things are going bad, that means that, man, I must have done something bad and God is punishing me right now. But that's not the truth. How God relates to us is when he looks at us, Christian, when he looks at you, he sees Jesus. Do you understand that? Jesus died in your place and gave you his life. So Christian, when he looks at you, he sees Jesus. He does not punish you because he's angry at you. When hard things come in your life, it is not meant as punishment because of bad things. No, when hard things come into your life, he is training you up as his child. Why? Because sometimes in this fallen world, in order to grow, in order to experience good things, we have to sometimes be disciplined, right? How does the athlete win a race? Well, by being out of breath a lot as he trains. That's painful for a time, but it reaps good. God is not punishing us because he took out the full punishment on Jesus. So stop thinking that way. Stop thinking that the good things in your life are dependent on how good you do and the bad things are because you've messed up. That's not how God relates to us. He relates to us as his children whom he loves. When he looks at you one more time, he sees Jesus. And that's what I want you to take away from this. I want you to dive into your Bible so that you might know God fully. I don't have enough time to explore the depth and the breadth and the bigness and the greatness and the kindness and the glory and beauty of our God. But that's the thing. He gives us his Bible. Go to it. Don't just go to it because that's what we're supposed to do, because we're supposed to learn tips on how to live. Go to it because that's where we meet God. That's how we know who he is and what he wants for us. 
So that's my invitation. I hope you begin to see and begin to just have a small taste of who our God is that we worship. What I'm going to do is I'm going to close our time today in prayer. And afterwards, we're going to play one more song uh, just kind of in the background. But I invite you guys, if you want to know more about this Christianity thing and you don't know yet, come see me or come see one. if our elders are here, raise your hand, our deacons, or actually anyone who goes to church here, we would love to tell you more about this Jesus person and what Christianity is all about, okay? So I'm going to pray, and we are going to be dismissed afterwards. Father, I just thank you so much for being a great and awesome God who, who is just so powerful and knowledgeable and that we cannot escape from your plan for us. But I also thank you that you love us and that your plan for us is good. And your plan for us is loving. And I thank you for that, Father. I pray that we would look to Jesus where we can find grace and healing and love directly from you, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.